0: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What up, what up, what up? Welcome into another edition of Green with Endy. As always, this is your boy Will. We, we are checking in. Rolling, like how you doing? How really How you and living? joining me as he does each and every time my best friend co-host and the coach of our podcast the one and only
1: Greg Manakis what's going on man Troy and Abed in the morning (laughs) I'm doing good man it's late it's late I'm a little loopy a little wacky right now but you know the Celtics got a big victory over the king so happy to hop on here with you real quick man and uh, just talk about how the Celtics finished the road trip four and two despite two horrible losses yeah, this is a weird late night
0: edition here of Green with Envy. Recording this just before midnight here Central Time. If anybody in the world is up watching us on on YouTube, appreciate <laughs> y'all. Appreciate y'all for checking in. Y'all are going to be the diehards that are out there with us. Um, just real quick, just to level us up before we jump into this Celtics Kings game. Uh, we talked about it a little bit in the last podcast, but the three man weave is back together now. What does that mean? Just to make sure that we're keeping this all straight for y'all, that means that some days you're going to be blessed with the three-man weave. That's what you're going to get. You're going to get myself. You're going to get Greg. You're going to get Adam. Some nights, especially after game recaps, you're going to get a lot of myself and Greg, maybe early morning. You might get myself and Adam, might get Greg and Adam. That's kind of the joy of of what the three of us got going on here. So you're going to hear us mixing and matching a bunch here as we really start to ramp up, especially with the playoffs going on. Uh, And then you know damn well we're going to be mixing in those three-man weaves when we can but tonight, Greg, before we just hop into it, real quick, can we just take a collective sigh of relief this tonight? First of all, Woosa. Tonight was a night that I think if you were a Celtics fan, as Sean Granny can't kind of talk about if you were a Celtics fan that gritted it out and stayed up for this late West Coast game, I believe the last West Coast game of the season, you
1: deserved it. You earned it, and goddamn do we need it. Yeah, man. It was uh, much needed, as I said. Um, yeah, Jason Tatum was awesome. Jalen Brown, awesome as well. The return of Robert Williams, I think that's probably the biggest story. But uh, let's get into a Warner Box score, and then we'll talk, talk it through. You know the drill, Greg. Let's cue it up.
0: Boston Celtics take down the Sacramento Kings on the road, rounding out their six-game road trip to go 4-2. and two. Final score, 132-109. to for the Sacramento Kings, De'Monta Sabonis, 16 points, 13 rebounds, and 12 assists. De'Aaron Fox had 18 points on 6 of 11 from the field. And rookie Keegan Murray had 15 points and 5 rebounds. For the good guys over in green, Jason Tatum. Rebound game, 36 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists. Jalen Brown, 27, 5, and 4. Derek White. Give the man his flowers. Call the florist. He needs them again. 20 points, 7 rebounds, 11 assists. The Celtics only commit 5 total turnovers in this game. A few of those late. They shoot over 53% from the field. And I think most importantly from a team perspective, pre, uh, pre-garbage time minutes, Greg, they hold not just the number one offense in the league right now, The number one offense in the history of ever, as Sean Grandy mentioned, as our guy Brendan Nunes came on here last show and talked about this high-voltage offense of the Sacramento Kings, 97 points pre-crunch time. They finished with 109 the last four or so minutes of the game, Uh, but Greg, you started to talk about this before we jumped into this morning box score. Jason Tatum, who we made reference to, uh, you know, by the way, I I was uploading some of our work, uh, checking over some of our YouTube stuff. It was getting a little depressing. Like, it it probably wasn't (laughs) as bad as as, as it felt, but those were the topics that that were jumping out. And, you know, in one of those videos, I referenced that, you know, Jason Tatum, whose numbers, if you just look at the straight numbers, have still been really good post-All-Star break, minus that three-point shooting. But the straight flat numbers, 27, 10, 5, whatever, whatever it might be, he really needed a night where the numbers and the eye test lined up with each other and backed one another up and he had that tonight with his 36 8 and 4 performance
1: yeah jason tatum's floor is now becoming like 25 uh 12 rebounds and three assists you know what i mean last year previous years it was that game where he was three for 17 for eight points four rebounds seven turnovers we're not really getting those games out of Jason Tatum anymore so like he's done a lot of what we wanted him to do is just to raise that floor and then that ceiling man whenever you see the Jason Tatum ceiling games this wasn't quite like through the roof Jason Tatum but this was everything you want from your superstar outside of a bad night at the free throw line but he did get to the line 11 times right so I think a lot of that had to do with the offense the Celtics were running. I think it was very pointed that they put Tatum in the post on the first play of the game. He got to the line in the first play of the game. We probably went to T- Tatum post ups five or six times um, as set plays to get him way more on the than block. I,
0: I can remember. I, maybe there's another game this year I'm not thinking of. You know, like we said, it's it's almost midnight here. It's weird. It's late. Maybe mm-hmm. there's another game I'm thinking of. But it, it, to your point, it, it felt. Far more of an emphasis in this game than in at least any game off the top of my head that I can really think of right now.
1: Yeah, I think that's so important to get Tatum easy buckets early in games. He does so much for the offense, and I think Missoula has probably asked a little bit too much of him, um, especially in the absence of Marcus Smart when Smart was out. He just has to carry a lot of the load as a primary uh, initiator of the offense for this team. And that that wears on a guy, you know, as someone who's played point guard, albeit on a rec league team, like (laughs) it it takes a lot out of you when you're the guy bringing the ball up every possession and Tatum has to do that a little bit too much for this team. So to get him easy buckets off of some wedge screens, off some flex cuts, straight up just bully ball post-ups, I think. Getting Tatum the ball on the block is such a efficient play for the Celtics. I don't have the numbers on it, but I I did see some people tweeting out some Tatum post numbers that are just great this year. Um, so I think if we can get Tatum easier buckets early in games, that's going to do a lot for his confidence. And it will also, you know, another weapon for teams to have to worry about. And then we can play inside out and get open threes off of other action than just drive and kick.
0: Yeah, and I think it really opened up his mentality to to get to the cup a little bit more. You know, I mentioned some of his stats that we talked about in the last episode where, you know, post-All-Star break, his, his splits have been fairly similar. It's been average. He's been averaging one more three-point attempt per game, one less two-point shot per game. So to see it kind of flip back tonight to to what I think it really needs to be, and I was a little worried early on. Early on, I thought he had a couple of questionable Three point shots that, you know, here's the thing. It's Jason Tatum. So it's never really a true questionable shot because he can make the shot. You know what I mean? But it's it's the quality of attempts and it, and it plays into the whole offense. that The Celtics are running. And and I think once they kind of got him a few more touches in the post, I think the play for me that really stood out was, uh, you know, after it was a little bit sloppy. Darren Fox gets called for this is right before the end of the first half gets called for that foul. And, you know, that little, you know, just, just inbounding the ball to him on the wing, that left wing that he loves. He loves his little step back, move to the wing. It's always there. And that's the thing. It's always there. And it's a shot that I I trust him to take and make. I know I've seen him do it a bunch. And he could have just fallen into that. And he didn't. And he drove to the lane and got an and one right before the half. I thought that was a very significant play just for the way that, you know, going back to the eye test of what we've seen on this road trip, which is what I think led to – a bit of the concern more than, I mean, they ended up four and two on a really weird road trip. When you look at, you know, four different time zones or whatever the hell it was, like that's a really weird road trip towards Mm -hmm. the end of the season. There's only nine games left. And so when you factor all that in, it wasn't pretty, but you get to four and two, it's a pretty damn good road trip. And so to end it with an eye test like this and with a play like that, where Tatum could have settled for an easier, lazier shot, he, he made the, you know, he made the conscious decision, to go to the cup and the half and I think really set the Celtics up for success going into that second half, which I think, you know, the first half was great. Second half was, I think some of the best Celtics basketball, at least in recent memory that we've, we've seen in quite a bit here.
1: Yeah. I mean, it wasn't just Tatum either, right? Jalen Brown was amazing in this game, uh, 10 for 16 from the field, four for seven from three, 27 points, uh, The Jays combined only two turnovers. The team only five turnovers in this game. 33 assists to five turnovers. That is quite the assist to turnover ratio. Um, Jalen Brown, I think he was awesome in this one as well. He's continued his stellar play of late. Thought he did a good job on De'Aaron Fox. Like Obviously, De'Aaron Fox is going to get his. He's going to blow by you and make you look stupid from time to time. But I thought Jalen Brown did a good job uh, limiting De'Aaron Fox uh, he, he he was matched up with him for, I, I don't know how many possessions, but a, a significant amount of them. Um, Al Horford, super efficient as well. But I think we got to talk about Derek White, right? Derek yeah. White, 37 minutes, almost 38 minutes in this game, Will. Um, he was, as we've been saying, he's the third best player on the Celtics team. And he played like it tonight. Got minutes in that fourth quarter in the crunch time lineup as we we're trying to close it out. There wasn't really like actual crunch time in this game yeah. because we blew them out. But I think it was very noticeable that Joe Missoula was trying out his playoff rotation. And it seems like if this game is any indication of what his playoff rotation is, there's a lot more Derek White and there's no bad defensive players on the court.
0: Yeah, that that was another part that really jumped out to me. Up until you get to about the last four, you know, three four minutes when you and I were texting, I wasn't quite sure Missoula was actually going to pull the troops there up twenty three or whatever it was. Thank God he did, or at least pull most of them. But you really did see kind of the eight-man rotation that that we've been expecting to see, which in part we haven't due to injury. And then once one guy's out, it, it's been getting a little bit weird, as, as, as we've discussed on several recent episodes. And so you look at the amount of time Derek White's out there. I think that's a big, big point, just under 38 minutes for him tonight. And, I mean, you saw all the reasons why we've been calling him the third-best player on this team this year. He did a little bit of everything and you felt the ball moving the, the the ball movement in that second half was a thing of beauty. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, you know, you have Rob Williams coming back and I I like this Rob Williams coming off the bench. It did feel like there was a bit more energy. And something that I was curious to to know as the coach of our podcast, if mm-hmm. if, if you noticed, at least this stood out for me, in that first half, I thought Sabonis was awesome. I thought Sabonis was a big problem for us in that first half. I thought there were, you know, he was obviously facilitating, but I thought there was also some moments uh, on the boards and just him with the ball where he just kind of bullied us a little bit. You know, there's that one play where Eddie House was pointing out. By the way, shout out to Eddie. Like Eddie House in the call. I'm a big yeah. fan of the other Grandy-Eddie House combo. I would I would much prefer that going forward neither here nor there, uh, but where Sabonis <laughs> has Horford on the block and kind of dribbles him back like five times, like, like kind of powered out. No one comes to the double. I don't know if it was an and one, but I know Sabonis gets, gets two on it. It felt like in that second half, the Celtics picked him up a bit higher and with a bit more force and maybe just more eyeballs on him, but it felt like there was really a, you know, a concentrated effort on Sabonis, who was a problem in that first half. And I think that was a major turning point in the second half for that Celtics as a collective defense.
1: Yeah, I don't. In the second half, I don't know if they actually did it or if my eyes were playing tricks on me. But it seemed like they were trying to scramble.
0: Anything could be true.
1: Yeah. They were trying to scram out their guards a little bit more. You know, they had Grant as a primary defender. They had Rob back in his rover spot along the baseline so he could take Sabonis on any roll action. Um, you know, that frustrated Rob. He ended up with five fouls in that game, got his tech because Sabonis was just doing what Sabonis does, which is just act like a battering ram and slam his way down to the to the paint and down around the rebounding area, you know. And that's what Sabonis does. I think with the Celtics, like the idea that you can play A backup big rotation of Grant Williams and Robert Williams like the Williams brothers are going to be huge in the playoffs especially going up against the centers and and forwards that we're going to be going up against the playoffs this is why we've been saying for so long it's been so weird to see Grant just completely out of the rotation for a few games maybe that's Missoula just um, trying to manage injuries maybe that's him sending a message maybe that's him rewarding Sam Hauser and keeping him in a rhythm who knows what's going on in uh, Missoula Madness but I think with Grant and Rob tonight and seeing those two along with Malcolm Brogdon off the bench and the eight man rotation, as I just said, there is not a bad defensive player in that eight man rotation. Sam Hauser is probably going to be the ninth guy, you know, and there are going to be a lot of games where Sam um, is called upon. Uh, just for a few spot minutes here or there, maybe if there's foul trouble. But this is going to be huge for the Celtics for the last nine games of the season and moving into the playoffs, is developing an identity back on the defensive end with eight guys who have no excuses. You cannot point to anybody on the court now and say, we're doing bad on the defensive end because player X is on the court. Every single one of those eight people can guard their yard and they can all switch this is like the defensive blueprint that you want in today's modern NBA.
0: Yeah, I thought the defense was really impressive tonight for for large stretches. And, you know, I think we got to talk a little bit here. This is obviously the, the, Rob Williams returns for this particular game here. He comes off the bench like we're talking about. Uh, just give me kind of your initial thoughts or, or just wh- wh- how do you think Rob looked? Never mind the stats. How do you think Rob looked tonight?
1: He looked awesome, man. He looked awesome. I didn't see him um grabbing at his hamstring, didn't see him grabbing at his knee at all. He looked springy. He looks strong. He's been, been in the weight room over the last couple of years so that he can take the the force of a Sabonis shoulder to his chest and not move an inch. You know, that one play where he ended up getting a foul, but he blocked um the and one attempt. Uh, I thought that was huge. Eddie House even uh called it out on the broadcast where he was like, wow, that was an impressive second jump by Rob because we you don't know how someone's going to react after coming back from a hamstring injury. Hamstring injuries are pain in the butt, quite literally. So I think with Rob like looking springy on the court Looking energized, communicating on the defensive end, being that rover position on the back line. He did everything that you need from Rob in those 21 minutes that he played. And this is why I said I think Rob should come off the bench, man, because it's a lot easier to find minutes for the bigs if you're really just playing a too big rotation. You know, Grant, you can call him a big, but he's really not. So with Al Horford playing 27 minutes, Robert Williams playing 21 minutes, that's an even split, Will. Can you do that math? How many minutes is that? 27 and 21.
0: Calculating.
1: Hold on, let me check with Missoula. Missoula, what does that equal? 40- <laughs> Forty-eight <laughs> minutes. That's that's it, man. You play two centers. That's your lineup. Forty-eight minutes of, of of two centers, and that that's what you need out of those guys. Save Al's legs. Get Rob back into the rotation. Have him make a difference. And it looked like um, I would have to double check the lineup numbers, but it seemed like Missoula was trying to go to that two big lineup with the Jays and a shooter. Right in the fourth quarter, we saw a little bit of Brogdon at the point guard. We saw a little bit of White at the point guard. There, we didn't see much of Marcus Smart with that with those uh, four guys. So, Missoula, maybe he is looking at the data, man. We know he loves data.
0: <laughs> it's all computing right now. It's going to download overnight. But yeah, I, I thought Rob looked good as well. You know, I thought he looked springy. I thought he looked like himself. I, I liked the. To, to the point that you're saying here of if you're going to play one big at a time and they did play obviously rob and al a little bit together in the court at the same yep. time but if you're going to go kind of one big on one big off you know having rob out there to just give a little bit of a different feel to that second unit i think really does make a big difference uh so uh, yeah i thought he looked great today. i think tonight was a very encouraging sign i think it's perfect timing right they had the two days off coming in, which obviously Rob came back just tonight, but now they have two more days off before they mm-hmm. play Indiana on Friday. So kind of the perfect time to bring Rob back, see how he heals up after playing 20 plus minutes. Uh, You did mention Marcus smart. I feel like we just need to talk about him just for a minute. Uh, This is just one of those classically funny Marcus smart games at this point where
1: he shot he made, three straight air balls.
0: That was insane. That was, <laughs> I, I, I didn't, I didn't know what to do at that point. And the thing was, at least two of my memory serves me correctly were off great ball movement one of them was off a dime from Brogdon across the other court uh, across the other side of the court where it, it, they were all kind of the right shot but just I've never seen a professional basketball player who also made three who still made three threes in the game missed three consecutive shots that badly and then he makes a bunch of other Marcus smart plays and, and I mean that um, in both ways that you can take it and so it you know he ends up with a 17 point seven assists, one turnover game, despite shooting six of 15 and three of nine with three air balls. Essentially, <laughs> like, just, just a weird Marcus well, Martin. You
1: know what I really liked about that moment though, is that Missoula took him out of the game. You know, I feel like that, that was one of those moments we've been calling for for a while now is when Marcus is just melting down on the court and just shooting air ball after air ball or turnover after turnover, no matter what point of the game is, you know, that Marcus just needs to sit for a minute. He just does like he, yeah. he, he just overheats at times and Missoula like needs to recognize that. And I was very happy that he did, you know, on the last pod we did with Adam and Brendan, we were talking about how Missoula hasn't learned his lessons quick enough this season. Well, that was a growing moment. I think from Missoula to be like, you know what, Marcus, just come, come sit over here for a little bit. You, come, you, know, come who think, buddy.
0: you know who I think might be agreeing with MV listener. Joe Missoula. Joe Missoula. <laughs> I think crazy Joe Missoula might be, might be a GWE stand. He just, you know, he's keeping it in the background, Joe come on the podcast man we we're, we're happy to talk it out with you we'll set you up with the programming in advance <laughs> we'll we'll make sure that you understand what's going on here um but yeah no i think that's a i think that's a great call out and in just a classic Marcus smart game just a, a great game for the Celtics to feel good about so for Celtics fans never mind the Celtics mm-hmm. Celtics yeah. fans needed this just needed to feel feel better about things right now you know Celtics they get their 50th win of the year they're now they got a blessing from the sixers last night who fell to the bulls and a weird, weird double overtime game. And so, you know, now they're back a full game ahead of the 76ers, still two games back of the buck with bucks with a game against the bucks coming up in about a week or so, uh, about a week and a half. And that, you know, if they win that game, if they can maintain within being a game or two right there, if they can keep at this pace, they're going to have a shot at that one. they're going to have an outside shot. They've got to, they've got to knock down the pins for these next couple of games against Indiana and San Antonio, you know those are games where if they do end up slipping up i'm not going to overreact but but you got to put the one seed to bed if you're if you're going to lose to the to the Pacers or the Spurs at this at this time yep. of the season if you're going to lose those games listen it might happen but Put the one seed to bed. Let's just we're gonna have to like take that out of the out of the rotation moving forward.
1: But and I and I think it's important, Will, for the Celtics to get the the two seed because uh I don't know if you've seen, but the Miami Heat are a half game back of the Brooklyn Nets right now, and they're probably gonna end up with the six seed. So if we end up with the three seed, that means a first-round matchup with the Miami Heat. We were thinking at one point the two seed might mm-hmm. not be much of a, much of a prize because the heat, were probably going to, you know, slide in there at the seven seed. But if they slide into the six seed, you, I do not want anything to do with the Miami heat in round one. So that two seed is huge. Um, I'm not
0: as bothered by the, I mean, I, I I'm bothered by the heat in the sense that I just don't enjoy heat versus Celtic basketball. I just don't think it's very fun. So in that sense, I don't want to see them. But at the end of the day, I mean, obviously I'd rather see the nets than the heat but we kind of went through this conundrum a little bit last year where it was, Oh man, I don't want that. You know, I don't want that Nets matchup. And that was the only, that was, we swept that matchup, you know? And mm-hmm. so with the heat, you know, however, however it falls, it may fall. I, I would just prefer the two seed before, you know, for that home court in that second round, that's Bro, something
1: that, that, I oh, would prefer. of for. course. I'm not saying we're going to lose to the heat. I think we're going to beat the heat and probably beat them in like six games, but I that's just don't want to set you up for. Exactly. I don't want to go up against Jimmy Butler and just like relive the trauma of last year. I don't want Bam Adebayo to like throw an elbow on a screen or like hurt Marcus Smart. You know, like there's just all these things that can happen against the Heat that I just don't want anything to do with. I'm not scared they're going to beat us. They're not going to beat us. We're way better than they are. Um, Anything else you want to talk about about the game?
0: I got nothing on this here. We're going to let's, let's take a quick break and let's. Uh, this is going to be a quick podcast here. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we got to touch on uh, our boy, Jalen Brown, here. All right, Greg. So over the last couple of days prior to the Celtics game against the Kings, there have been multiple articles about Jalen Brown that have come out. One of them in the New York Times by Sopan Deb, which was published on march 17th and then uh just earlier today on march 21st logan murdoch of the ringer had an article entitled "Jalen brown is trying to find a balance uh both of these were were fairly similar articles and i think our guy bobby manning over at clns and part of celtics blog i know he has a a few thoughts coming out on this if it's not already out on celtics blog by the time you're listening to this Uh, but he made a great point because i think a lot of people took this as what you know, trying to read into this. What does this mean? These two articles at the same time seemingly come out on Jalen Brown. Supposedly Logan Murdoch was in Boston around January doing these conversations, writing this article about Jalen Brown. And then once the New York Times dropped an article, it's one of those things where does the ringer sit on the same article and see what happens in the postseason and run it? Or do they try to catch the the second wave of people already talking about? Jalen Brown and, and what turned out to be a a, a very similar article. So I want to just throw that out there because I know people were, were trying to read into what this means. And, and it's honestly it seems like a little bit of coincidental timing that it's coming out this close together. So I think that's important for context. Uh, but Greg, I want I want you to kind of steer us here into your thoughts a little bit. I'm sure I'll touch on this with Adam a little bit later in the week when we get everybody set up for the weekend. So I want to start with just your thoughts on it. I know you you mostly read the the Logan Murdoch piece on the ringer, which is the mm-hmm. most recent of the two articles.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack in this article. Um I don't want to get too deep in this conversation because it is just past midnight now, and uh, <laughs> that's just a, a little late for like a super deep conversation yeah. about this article. But just in terms of like what Celtics fans are probably thinking about right now are a few comments that Jalen made just regarding the organizational trust and maybe the lack of it or the breakdown of trust that has happened with him and the organization as his name has been floated out there in trade rumors um, he he addresses the Jason Tatum Kevin Durant photo of last yeah, that summer which was happening which was happening as the rumors are swirling that KD might go to Boston and then all of a sudden if you don't remember Jason Tatum takes a picture working out with um, with Kevin Durant and I guess Jalen was taken aback by it he didn't know because he knew that they were friends he heard the rumors and he had to have a three-way call with Brad Stevens and Jason Tatum like they had to actually arrange that that was the piece that stood out to me because because we didn't really hear much about that from Tatum, we didn't hear much about that from Brown, and just like knowing that it did affect Jalen, as it obviously should have, because he's a human being. Um, I, it, it's surprising to me that their relationship is as strong as it is to this day. Because like, I, I don't know how Jason Tatum let that photo get out there, bro. Like that—that <laughs> that was just not a good look. Like how how uh, like off the grid do you have to be to not realize that Kevin Durant is being rumored to be traded mm. for your buddy, Jalen Brown. And then to tweet that picture it was just really ridiculous when it happened at the time. So looking back on it, um, it's amazing that their relationship is strong. That was like my first big takeaway from the article was that Jalen Brown is bigger man than I would be. Cause I'd be like, nah, fuck that guy.
0: Yeah, no. And, and that, that speaks to hopefully the, the strength of, of their relationship. And we, we had this when, uh, you know, when we had Dana Barros on a, a little while back, he talked about how, oh, yeah, they used to come to my gym and, and, and work out together. Yeah. And so, you know, there's always going to be a lot of stuff that you don't see, you know, in, in front of the cameras that you don't see behind the scenes. Uh, they talk a little bit about this and their sit down with KG and Paul Pierce as well, just kind of about their relationship. I mean, the thing for me that I, I think people got a little bit worried about is that there wasn't this, you know, steadfast commitment to I want to be in Boston, I Ever you know, and, and listen – Jalen to me what I what I when I read the article was basically I've got to assess everything and do the decision that makes the most sense for me both on the court and with my you know what I want to do off the court as well. And so to me that just sounded like a very rational decision that he should be making that he should be taking into account just the way the Celtics would be taking into account the option to trade him for Kevin Durant it's this it's the mm-hmm. same kind of options that you're weighing it's two different sides of the coin so to me while I thought some of his I thought the interview and the piece itself I read both pieces were were well done they're both very similar both as soon as any mention of you know speaking directly about Kanye West got brought up were both shut down uh, basically the same verbatim answer of not answering that question um, but I you know, I I think Jalen Brown is just a very unique individual who you said before is kind of, you know, a a a lineage to to the past and Bill Russell and being, you know, being very active um socially, being social activism, civil rights, you know, being involved in that manner. And, you know, Jalen Brown, I think the answers that he gave that he gave in this article and in the interview, you know, they, they were what I kind of expect from Jalen Brown, a guy who's very forward thinking, a guy who's very progressive thinking. And at the end of the day, you know, I I think my gut would say that I think he's probably still going to end up in Boston. And if you're a Celtics fan, here's what you really need to do. Root for him to make the All-NBA team. If he makes the All-NBA team, it is a massive generational financial investment for him to turn that down. That would be, I think if he makes All-NBA this season, I believe in Keith Smith has a great article on spot track that breaks it all down. So apologize for not having that pulled up at this moment, but I know there's a world in which Jalen Brown makes all NBA signs a deal with the Celtics an extension where the fourth year of that deal is worth $66 million for one year. So if you're a Celtics fan and you're really just wanting Jalen Brown to be in, in green, let's hope he makes the all NBA this year. Cause it's gonna be pretty hard for him not to be a member of this team. If that's the case.
1: Yeah, and he deserves it. You know, I was actually um, texting back and forth with my high school coach, uh, Brendan Smith, who runs ASA Hoops back in Massachusetts. And we were talking about Jalen a little bit, you know, talking about the article, talking about him as a player. Um, I've been Team JB, you know, I have since day one. I love Jalen Brown. I love everything he stands for as a human being. And I love the development and um, the growth he's shown as a basketball player. I think it the, the growth that you see is a product of his character which is someone who's gonna work really hard every single day and he's he's just a well-rounded uh, human being you know and I, I just really respect that because I think all the people that tell athletes like shut up and dribble I think it's ridiculous like I think anybody should be able to express themselves no matter what their platform is if you work at McDonald's or you work in the NBA like you have every right to your opinion and you have every right to a platform whatever that platform is um, but I was talking with Brendan and you know, I was I was just saying, like why why would you ever want Jalen Brown gone at any point? And uh Brendan's take was he sees Jalen more as a me over a wee guy. And I kind of asked him to elaborate about that a little bit. And he just thinks that like like the timing of the article and all the stuff that he's saying right now shows that he's putting himself before the organization, which makes sense that Brennan would say that, you know, he's a, he's a coach first. He's like my coach, my high school basketball coach, and he's very team oriented. And my thing was, man, I don't think he's a me guy at all. I think he's a we guy. It's just like his, we, isn't just the Celtics, right? His, we is his community. His, we is society. His, we is being part of the NBA players association. Right. And that was a huge part of this article with Kyrie. It's like it, it, they talk about it. They say him and Kyrie did not vibe in Boston. They were not friends. They did and not like. Also,
0: pretty interesting to read about, right? That he would be the the young guy that would stick his chest out and go back at Kyrie in the locker room.
1: Yeah, and I I liked that. And then it's I think a lot of people were confused recently because that was obviously the rumors that they didn't really get along. And then when JB was like kind of seen um, supporting Kyrie, and everyone was just like, "Wait, I thought you hated Kyrie." And it's like, no, Jalen Brown doesn't hate Kyrie. He, and he doesn't love Kyrie. He supports Kyrie as, you know, a, a fellow basketball player and, you know, someone who he has to represent as a member of the NBA Players Association, you know? So that was a big part of the article. It's like, listen, it's my job. Like, how do people not understand that? Maybe nobody really understands what the Players Association is designed to do, but it's there to protect the rights of the players. You know what I mean? And Jalen Brown was just like, I thought it was just unfair the the way that he was treated in Brooklyn. And it didn't matter that it was Kyrie. It was just he saw somebody that was being treated unfairly, that was having their voice taken away. And he felt like he needed to speak up as part of the players association. That is his job. Like that that's the thing that the I think maybe people don't have the context for that. They don't understand like that that's actually his role. But um that was a big thing with the article for me is I, I just like Jalen Brown a lot. I want him in Boston and I as I agree with you. If he makes the nba team, it, it's going to go a long way to keeping him here.
0: Yeah, yeah, that would be a really tough turn down if that, that were to be the case. And the other thing I just want to always remind people, Jalen Brown was asked most of these questions. Jalen Brown <laughs> didn't go around typing up a blog and then go ahead and, and put these out into the ether on a random Monday or Sunday because he felt frustrated. He was asked by the New York Times. He was asked by the Ringer to do a feature article, and he answered some questions that's that's all he did that's that's literally if when you want to boil it down to anything else that's what happened and then i talked about the beginning these are two you know editorial organizations that are trying to fight for clicks and Mm -hmm. so one beat the other one the punch the other one tried to ride the wave that's the only reason why you're seeing these come out consecutively together so i i really think to me I didn't feel like it was that big of a deal. I thought there were some interesting insights. Nothing to me sounded imminent one way or the other. Like, oh my God, I'm so worried he's going to leave Boston. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the all NBA thing kind of sorts most of this out. And and I think there's still a lot of, you know, just everything the Celtics have building here. To me, I didn't read that article as Jalen Brown is on his way out of town. We better start looking about for trade candidates but it does it does leave that as a possibility and so you know i think either you texted or tweeted this 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 puts a, a lot of emphasis on this playoff run to see what happens so it is going to get interesting come the postseason time and having these articles out there they will be lingering over and be resurfaced you know depending on how this playoff run goes but either way any, anything else that you have that you you want to add to this Greg, I, i've kind of expanded my my thoughts on it for
1: now Uh, Yeah, we went deeper than I thought we would. Uh, Just for Celtics fans that haven't read that article, here's one quote. If you haven't seen this, because this probably wasn't polled and aggregated anywhere, but Jalen Brown did say when asked about his future, I don't really know or want to answer that question because that type of stuff makes Celtics fans speculate and go crazy. Especially right now, I'll just say we'll get there when we get there. Again, as you said earlier, an expected answer from Jalen Brown. He's not going to commit. He's not going to not commit. He's going to be like, hey, I'm a human being. I'm going to keep it real with you. I don't know. That day is not here. We will get there when we get there. He talks in the article. I just want to focus on what's in front of me right now. That's it. I love you, JB hope you here a long time
0: <laughs> you got you got real soft and emotional at I like i like that as a, as a way to end it but that'll do it that will put a bow on it right here that's gonna be the end of this episode of green with envy uh we'll be back later in the week myself and adam i believe are gonna gonna lay one down for y'all here set y'all up for the weekend review the road trip so we'll have another pod coming here later in the week before we reunite the three-man weave over the weekend uh greg any final thoughts and then as always let us know what we're going to hear on the way out
1: sweet dreams everybody you know the drill black sheep optimist skywalking peace everybody thanks for those of you that are in the chat I wish that I'd never seen the stars in your eyes A glimpse of what I'm missing thinking it's a mirage Ooh, you got me tripping and it's hard to describe But I stick for a minute cause I'm digging the vibe I like the way you're looking at the look in my eyes Don't be casual feelings when it's only a vibe Don't know what the deal is, I'm a typical guy You know the one thing different is the state of your mind I'm like, oh my, mind, someone told me you rope. I'm getting too damn high, didn't know I could float You could call it a vibe, it's probably all that you wrote But I'd be doing this shit finally if I didn't have hope Cause you know that that embodied we go with the flow. I could sing a different song if I cannot hit the notes. You had me taking off, when you took off your clothes. It should be coming down by now, but the won't.